It's that time again. It's Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Be who I am, the man with the plan. I'll be damned if I waste time on those who don't understand. I'm trying with all my heart. My name is Mayuta, 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 Mayuta. Wait a minute, it's Micah. I'm Matsy. This is Animation Celery, and it's a podcast where we, two dorks, give each other cartoons to watch and come back and review them the next week. Normally. This time, we had a request, and we had to honor it, and so we just decided to go whole hog with it and watch the entire first story arc of Rocky and Bullwinkle. We'll get to that in a minute, but first, Micah, what else should we talk about this week? Well, first off, what a milestone. 30 episodes. Ah. Yep. From now on, we're just going to start to shrink. <laughs> um, I did check out Super Pac's voice from last time, from uh, the Pac-Man cartoon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it pretty much just sounded like Lorenzo Music dialed a little bit over. Yeah. I mean, you, if you're Lorenzo Music, you can't hide what your voice is. Right. But you can, you know... You can alter it up a little more than he did between, you know, Peter Venkman, Tummy Gummy and Garfield. Yeah, I think I think that's his star power. And then anything mm. else he does, he does for like usually additional voices, you know, <laughs> yeah, the guy on right. TV on Real Ghostbusters or something. <laughs> um, anyway, the uh, the big thing that happened today, I got a gift. My lady oh. gave me animation cells. <gasps> Whoa, nice. Yeah, on Animation Celery, finally, Animation Cells. Uh, Ooh, what what'd you got? They're from a anime feature called Rojin Z, or Rojin Z, probably. Oh. Rojin Z, actually. Uh, okay. Um, it's a uh, story about a elderly care nurse named Haruko, and the old man that she takes care of becomes the test subject for a fully automated robotic bed. Okay. Um, but the bed goes haywire and goes on a rampage through the city trying to fulfill his needs. It almost sounds like it could be a plot from The Tick. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny. It's full of action. Uh, anyway, I got cells from it. And uh, the thing that struck me right away is they're small. Yeah. They're like smaller than letter size or A4 paper size. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Because usually I think of the animation cells I think of are really quite big. But uh, so that really surprised me. And mm. it's kind of interesting that a movie that looks that good would be drawn so small. Um, right. Usually the conventional wisdom is you draw big so that you don't have as much of a magnifying effect when you see it on a big screen where all the errors come out, you know? Mm, yeah. And to that end, there are also other surprising things. Like, I'm pretty sure they used um, a, like, a fine liner felt marker to do the uh, line work on the cells. Okay. Um, but truly a volume business, they're not all really perfect lines. Um, in fact, I think a lot of the time they're affected either by the marker kind of failing. So there's like a line that, you know, is a little faint in a place or it might be because, uh, it got rubbed off the cell when it was still, uh, damp. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, um, 
a combination of black lines and then also red brown lines as well. And I got I got quite a few neat cells. I got uh, quite a few that feature Haruko. I got some that feature the mechanical bed. Mm. Um, I got a companion pair of one of the characters and his mouth on the other cell. <laughs> well, it's kind of fun, right? You, it's kind yeah, of yeah, fun yeah. No, I this. yeah, like I get it. Like yeah, that's yeah. I never even thought about that. Like when I think about animation cells, I usually think of like the complete picture. Oh, it, it didn't occur to me that there'd be like, oh, here's a animation cell of Homer Simpson with his entire muzzle missing. <laughs> you remember when Bart Simpson bought the itchy and scratchy cell? It was just an arm. That's yeah. that's the other thing I was thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I guess they've got no use for just a cell that's got some unidentified mouth on it. So, you know, they just pack them both in. Yeah, gosh, now I'm thinking about it. Like, there would be Rocky and Bullwinkle cells of just, like, you know, Natasha's arm in one frame of pumping back and forth. You know what I mean? Oh, man. <laughs> so there'll, that, There'd be Rocky and Bullwinkle cells. You'd be thinking, hey, you forgot the cell with the mustache. And the reality is they just didn't make it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll get to that. But uh, yeah. anyway, <laughs> a, a neat gift. And I'll, I'll be sure to post some on my Twitter, uh, some pictures. That sounds of those. cool. Yeah, yeah. How old is this anime? Oh, it's old. Uh, let's see. I think I have the wiki open. No, I do not. I'm going to guess 1991. Let's see if it bears out. Mm. Yep. Bingo. 1991. Nice. It was written by uh, Otomo, who did, who directed and made uh, Akira. So. Okay. Yeah. Nice That's cool. Funny. Yeah. Nice. Have you got any nuggets for us this week? Well, I kind of do but i'm thinking hmm, that was actually a really quick news thing on you you know what yeah i have something that i wanted to talk about but i think in the interest of time because we have such a big project let's just get into the project and i'll save my news thing for next week okay okay which is nice because it means i don't have to think of something else all right um but yeah so we're uh let's get right into talking about rocky and bullwinkle um we're gonna just recap the way we always recap these cartoons, we're just going to recap the entire first story arc, which is called Jet Fuel Formula. Now, the show, originally called Rocky and His Friends, and then later retitled, uh, it is in current canon, it is The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Hmm. I think there might be an end friends in there, too, actually. Let me just double check that. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, the current title of it is The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle and Friends. But originally it was Rocky and His Friends and The Bullwinkle Show and The Rocky Show. And it's all kinds of names. Oh, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Um, the, it, it started in 1959, ran new episodes, I think until 1964. So the show was, you know, a half hour cartoon show. It had four animated segments. The first and last one would be Rocky and Bullwinkle, and then there would be something in the middle of, like, Dudley Do-Right, Sherman and Peabody, uh, Fractured Fairy Tales, that kind of thing. Um, so this story that we're doing covers the first 20 episodes of the show, but only the Rocky and Bullwinkle parts, which are, which are at the beginning and the end. So it works out to... The total for this thing is about 140 minutes. So two hours, 20 minutes. Mm. Um, what do we got? What do we want to talk about? How do we want to set this up? Um, uh, well, we can start by saying that uh, Rocky is a flying squirrel. <laughs> yes. Bullwinkle okay. is, is is Moose Companion. Yes. Uh, Rocky is the leader. Bullwinkle is dull-witted. 
Yes. And they have a series of misadventures that pit them against Cold War-style spies, Boris and Natasha, that are from a fictional Soviet-style country called Potslovania. Yes. That's about it, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess the the thing that I discovered uh, in preparing for this was I always thought the name Bullwinkle was weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the new fact that I discovered is that one of the guys who created the series, Alex Anderson, um, he saw that there's a car dealership in Berkeley, California called Bullwinkle Motors. Okay. And he thought the name Bullwinkle was really amusing. And so he gave that name to the uh, moose character. Hmm. And then Rocky. Rocky is short for rocket. Yeah. Because he flies. I guess, you know, if there's anything we missed, we can uh, discuss it as we go. But for now, let's start recapping the epic jet fuel formula. So it begins with a group of scientists who are looking through their 1,000-inch telescope to disprove the existence of life on the moon. But to their astonishment, they see Rocky and Bowinkle. By the way, I kind of like <laughs> the wording here at the beginning, that there are scientists, eggheads, and double domes. <laughs> <laughs> Bowinkle signals by semaphore that they're coming to Earth. And then a contingent of military and politicians await the arrival of the supposed moon men. When they crash land, Rocky and Bowinkle inform the welcoming party that they're actually from Frostbite Falls, Minnesota. Their story goes that Bowinkle's recreation of his mother's quick-rising cake blasted their stove to the moon. The two... I think it says grandma. Oh. I think. Rather than grandmother? Grandmother. Oh, did you say yeah. grandmother? I thought you said mother. No. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, carry um, on. The two built a rocket... And then they made the second layer of the cake to use as fuel to get to the moon. And then the third layer got them back from the moon with their stove. <laughs> Potsylvanian spies Boris and Natasha hear tell of the amazing rocket fuel and the genius moose tasked to create guided moosles for the government. <laughs> Natasha tries to get the formula, but Bullwinkle reveals that the half of the paper with well, uh, half of the paper is destroyed by the explosion. So he only knows the quantities, but not the ingredients. Natasha hands to Bowinkle a package with a dynamite time bomb inside of it. Unfortunately for Natasha, the door to the moose's lab was locked behind her. Bowinkle is unable to identify the key to the front door in time. He's got a big key ring. Uh, so mm -hmm. Natasha drops the package out the window. It lands right next to Boris and launches him into the air. Meanwhile, the potency of Bowinkle's grandmother's rocket fuel cake inspires the scientific community around the world to diversify into baking, and grandmothers rose to prominence because they're good at baking, you see. <laughs> While Bowinkle continues to puzzle the formula, a scaly green hand points a strange gun at him. Now, actually, at this point, uh, Boris Badenov has red eyes. Yeah. There's a lot uh, at, of this. Yeah. Well, at this point, um, in the first, so this, uh, the, the, the show moved around from channel to channel a little bit in the early days. Yeah. Um, this is the first episode of the show. And at this point it was being broadcast in black and white. Oh, it yeah. didn't, it didn't go to color until it moved over before, um, 
it was in this time slot before uh, Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, and that's when it became <laughs> color. But but so at this point, like I noticed that too with the red eyes, yeah. and then discovered oh, it was black and white. So who cares? I guess. But there's a lot of like, there's a lot of this in the show where they're evolving on the fly. Yes. Uh, and these are this, particularly these first two episodes here. There's a lot of times where you'd expect it to be a cell. But they've actually painted the character on the background and then had to sell for just his arm or his mouth or something. Yeah. It looks kind of weird. Um, all right. So that scaly green hand, it belongs to Gidney. And with him is Cloyd. They're two little green moon men. They seek to preempt an invasion of the moon by Earth to- tourists. They tell their harrowing tale of all the mundane things of our planet, which they find terrible. Hmm. <laughs> The aliens become invisible, deciding not to scrooch Rocky and Bullwinkle with their scrooch gun, at least not until they finish recreating the formula. But don't forget about the other threat to our heroes. After receiving instructions to kill Moose from the motherland, Boris drops a safe from a high-rise window in order that it crush Rocky and Bullwinkle far below. Natasha only informs Boris after he's cut the line to drop the safe that more words precede kill moose, making it do not kill moose. <laughs> after that conversation, Boris runs all the way down the building to save Bowinkle, and he gets to ground level just in time to himself get crushed by the safe. Do you think that the fact that they have a conversation and then he outraces the safe down is part of the joke. I'm not sure. Yeah. I remember I remember seeing a parody of Rocky and Bullwinkle somewhere. I can't remember what it was. It might have been Tiny Toons. It might have been Animaniacs. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But it was the parody was um the two characters it it started with the narrator recapping what had happened in the last episode. And then it was the two characters as the stand-ins for Rocky and Bullwinkle falling from a cliff. And the whole episode was them having a conversation as they were falling. And then the narrator threw to, you know, don't miss our next episode. Like just as a parody, the entire episode was just them having a conversation while falling. So time, time, there are other instances that I will cover and maybe you will too, where, where they play fast and loose with uh, the transitions between uh, episodes. Mm -hmm. So uh, over the following days, Rocky and Bullwinkle work hard and make a great many confections, but even if tasty, none of them are explosive. After those failures, Rocky gets the idea that hypnosis might help Bullwinkle recall the recipe. And with incredible foresight, Boris knocks on the door dressed as a swami and hypnotist. (laughs) Because the moose drones on and on about everything he knows, everybody falls asleep. Everybody, that is, except for Gidney and Cloyd, who are observing invisibly. On hearing the actual formula, they decide to scrooch Bullwinkle. However, it turns out the scrooch ray just immobilizes what it hits. Boris wakes up and convinces the moon men that Rocky is the actual brains behind the uh, duo. When they go back to apprehend the squirrel, Boris grabs and abducts the rigid moose. Rocky convinces Gidney and Cloyd that they are entitled to a party but the entertainment chairman, Bullwinkle, is necessary. Eight hours later, Bullwinkle becomes unscrooched. Boris, 
was in wait and disguise, uh, a disguise of apparently not wearing his hat, hmm. as Bowinkle's new assistant. He also had a listening device that was broadcasting everything distantly to others in his organization. The listening spies replicated the recipe as it came through their speakers. To sound smarter, Bullwinkle starts to name chemicals rather than foodstuffs, but he gets it all wrong. So while he makes chocolate pan downy, the distant spies are blown up. The aroma of the baked good leads Rocky to the house on the hill. Rather cluelessly, the squirrel follows the instructions on some signs and is dropped down a trap door. The chute deposits Rocky into a hot air balloon that instantly takes off over the ocean. I guess Boris doesn't yet know that Rocky is a flying squirrel. It's also an elaborate um, trap. <laughs> it is. But I did, I did like the joke of like, you know, just a little farther, too far, go back five feet. Yes. <laughs> that kind of thing. That, that's a good gag. And maybe he already had the uh, hot air balloon. He didn't have a spike trap. He had a hard... <laughs> Next best thing. Yeah. Uh, so, meanwhile, Gidney and Cloyd are checking door to door to look for Bullwinkle. And they're so thorough that it eventually leads to the house where Boris, Natasha, and Bullwinkle are. That's amazing. Yes. Again, with incredible prescience, Boris greets them and pretends to be throwing them the party that the aliens are expecting. To deal with the Moon Men, he begins mixing sleep potion into the fruit punch. Out over the Atlantic, a lightning bolt strikes the hot air balloon, leaving its basket and Rocky to plummet toward the sea. Or so it seems, because Rocky is a flying squirrel and he extends his membranes to glide back toward land. <laughs> Unfortunately for him, National Defense picked him up on radar and starts to shoot at him. The clever squirrel flew in such a pattern that the smoke of the artillery shot spelled out U.S. taxpayer in order that he identify himself. I, it's, I know it's a cartoon. Yes. But it's amazing to me that the U.S. military has never encountered a flying creature over the ocean before. <laughs> right. <laughs> maybe they shoot them all down. Oh, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Um, back at the fake party, Natasha realizes that they don't want Bullwinkle to drink the punch. So Boris pretends that it's his tradition to break the glasses before drinking. It stops Bullwinkle from drinking, but his toast is to crime for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> and because they're villains, Boris and Natasha have to drink to that. <clears throat> Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, they pass out. But Gidney and Cloyd's alien physiology makes them immune to the sleep effects. When Rocky and Bullwinkle leave the building, armed men put the two under arrest. They're government soldiers, and they suspect that two spies are present. For a moment, they suspect Gidney and Cloyd since they are so strange. Mm. Then they turn attentions to the passed out Natasha and Boris, but our heroes and the moon men vouch for them. <laughs> The Moon Men are a big hit when humans meet them. The two quickly grow weary of their popularity and so decide to leave. But they kidnap Rocky and Bullwinkle and take them away in their flying saucer. It doesn't get far because their ship is low on fuel. It's revealed to us, the audience, that Boris and Natasha had stolen the ship's fuel tank. Rocky reasons that since Gidney and Cloyd heard the actual rocket fuel formula, 
They could tell it, and he and Bullwinkle could make fuel for them. The only hitch is that they need mooseberries, and the only place that those grow is their hometown, Frostbite Falls. Meanwhile, Boris and Natasha board a submarine with a stolen tank of rocket fuel. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. When in the scene where they're looking in the like atlas, I guess it is for, about yeah. mooseberries. Yeah. They really, really want you to see the book titled Sex on Planet X in the background. It's amazing <laughs> to me that they got away with that in 1959. Right. <laughs> so a communique comes through to Natasha that reminds the duo that they still need to kill Moose. I guess since they now have an actual sample of the fuel, they don't need him. The two put on scuba gear and leave the submarine to swim back to land. Meanwhile, Rocky and Bowinkle can't book transport to Frostbite Falls because it's too small a town. <laughs> Commissioning a plane is too expensive, but wouldn't you know that Boris is ready with the disguise as a pilot for hire? On board the plane, Natasha, posing as a stewardess, fastens Rocky and Bowinkle's seatbelts, though actually she was locking them to their seats. You would think, as a government scientist, that Bullwinkle could have gotten military transport. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, well. that's a good point. <laughs> um, Natasha serves them two cups of acid that she claims are hot drinks, even though, obtusely, the cups have a skull and crossbone emblem on them. <laughs> Turbulence luckily makes them spill their drinks onto the airplane floor, and the acid burns through it. Meanwhile, a miscalculation causes the submarine with the stolen rocket fuel to crash and blow up. A message is sent to Boris, but he and Natasha are too busy sabotaging the plane and then bailing out to leave Moose and Squirrel to crash. However, just before Boris jumps, he receives the message that Bullwinkle must survive to complete the formula. The villain unlocks Rocky and Bullwinkle and provides the Moose with his parachute. Rocky, of course, safely glides down. After the plane crashes, the spies lurk behind Rocky and Bullwinkle as they proceed to Mooseberry Island. The island is covered in barbed wire and signs that declare quarantine because of a case of Mooseberry blight. Bullwinkle plans to swim with the current to the island and then return with the Mooseberry bush. Unfortunately, the antler dullard forgot that he can't swim. <laughs> so... Bullwinkle plummets down thundering falls, but manages to catch on to a bush. To save his friend, Rocky tied a rope to a tree, and then he flew down the uh, with the rope to Bullwinkle. Just then, the bush tore free, but the pair swings on the rope to safety. To their great luck, the bush Bullwinkle ripped free turns out to be a mooseberry bush. Free of blight. Yeah. Um, oh. There's a note I have here that it's funny. Fearless leader doesn't yet have his famous design with the monocle and the jodper pants. <laughs> but uh, I guess we'll we'll get to that later, right? Eh? We will, yeah. So Boris has yet another disguise as an agent from the FPI as a federal plant inspector. He claims that their bush has mooseberry blight and needs to be sprayed. Under cover of the cloud from the spray, Boris steals the bush. And then wait, 
Boris and Natasha are then disguised as natives to escape in a canoe with the bush. I mean, they have to, you can't ride in a canoe <laughs> unless you're an Indian. Rocky and Bullwinkle, meanwhile, convert their crashed plane into a boat using the propellers as paddles. Despite orders not to kill Moose, kill Moose uh, Boris chops down a tree to tumble onto the two and their plane boat. The tree is too long and breaks on the opposite shore, half of it driving through the plane. Though that springs a leak, the trunk acts as a mast and its branches a sail. That makes sense, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> no. <laughs> but, but I I'm swear. Also, I'm also thinking about, like, is... Would the wind blowing through a tree be a stronger mode of propulsion than paddles? Right. Well, it's a tandem effort, right? Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think a lot of the things are too far fetched from the, the, you know, Axe Cop about the, the guy who makes a story based upon what his little brother told him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that little brother would find a lot of this stuff too far-fetched. <laughs> um, so, anyway, the spies get back in their canoe, and it becomes a race of Rocky and Bullwinkle in their tree-plane boat versus the spies, uh, as well as a race against the seaworthiness of their strange, leaking craft. So, it's a race from Minnesota to Washington, D.C., and it takes them through the Great Lakes... And then to portage their vessels through Chicago. Uh, and then to speed ahead of a powerboat race through the St. Lawrence River and any puddle, no matter how meager, to get all the way to Washington, D.C. That's a ridiculous sequence. It is actually a pretty funny sequence. It is, but it's 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 crazy. Yeah, yeah. I like just it doesn't matter what, you know, just like kids playing in a fire hydrant. I like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like they only need water for a little bit because they're going across pavement and then they stroke when they get to the puddle to propel them to the next fountain or whatever else. It's like halfway a sketch from like kids in the hall or something. Yeah. Uh, maybe one of the highlights of this arc, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're close to Washington, D.C. And a fog bank allows Boris and Natasha to first encounter a sign warning about a sawmill and then remove it so that Rocky and Bullwinkle can't heed the warning. The saw blade saws their tree plane boat in two, but luckily each of the duo was on either side of the saw blade. <laughs> the moose and squirrel survivors ride in crates made there at the mill to be delivered to Congressman Drupleton Bunn. As the two set to resume their experiments, they encounter negative public sentiment over their loss of the mooseberry bush. Finally, Boris and Natasha make it to the city and steal boat tickets to return to their country. So, an offhand comment by Bullwinkle gives Rocky the idea to ask the moon men where to find another mooseberry bush. The two moon men aren't at their New York apartment. Instead, they've become a hit, a showbiz hit in Las Vegas. <laughs> Well, they ask this uh, uh, New Yorker about their uh, the headline, mm -hmm. and I like him saying, uh, <laughs> "He was like, you kidding, Jack? 
They're the biggest B.O. draws in showbiz. Florida in Philly, pulverize them in podunk. They're sensation. Way out. In a word, buffo. Yeah, this whole sequence where they're like, they have to like run the computer, uh, run the newspaper through a computer to get a translation into what it actually means. Yeah, like, that's that whole sequence. It's kind of like that Looney Tunes cartoon with the guy who goes to heaven and he's like explaining the story of his life in slang. Oh, and, right, right. And like St. Peter is like picturing everything he's saying literally. That's a good cartoon. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like it, that. Yeah, I think that's an MGM one, though. Oh, maybe. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. It's a Tom and Jerry style thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, So Rocky and Bowinkle telephone the successful alien song and dance team (laughs) to learn the location of another mooseberry bush. Kudos on them for actually showing them perform, too. (laughs) Yeah. But boy, the Foley, like they're like all the riotous applause that they're getting from the audience. (laughs) And it's like three people just. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the Animal Pals set on an ocean voyage to the only other place on Earth with mooseberry bushes, Potsylvania. By amazing coincidence, it is the home country of Boris and Natasha, and the four unknowingly wait at the same pier. The customs agents uh, disallow Boris and Natasha from transporting the mooseberry bush until... They pretend it's Natasha's fashionable hat. <laughs> this, pre, this pre-9-11 yeah. security, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, the spies send a rocket-propelled carrier pigeon to Pottsylvania because their radio is in their trunk. But later, they just use the radio anyway to get permission to kill the moose and squirrel. Boris snips the chain of the gangplank with some garden shears. And causes the heroes to fall into the water. The two become endangered by the boat drifting toward them and the dock. Bullwinkle's mighty muscles and then his antlers forestall their crushing. The befuddled Captain Peach Fuzz throws a line overboard, but to the wrong side of the ship. Luckily, it loops a speedboat that is strong enough to pull the mighty ocean liner away from the dock. Now aboard... Rocky and Bowinkle meet Sir Thomas Lippin Boris, his wife Lady Alice, and his uncle Chomley. Of course, these are Boris, Natasha, and the Mooseberry Bush in disguise. You see, the Mooseberry Bush is seasick, thus requiring it to be above deck, thus requiring them to put on another facade. Bowinkle dozes next to the bush at the deck chairs, while Boris and Natasha lead Rocky around the deck and toward trouble. <laughs> and I guess this is where I'll take over for this next episode. Take it away, Matsy. All right. So this, now <laughs> this is something I found funny because the idea uh, I'm thinking too literally or, or too, I don't know, intelligently. Okay. Cause I'm thinking the idea of them taking the bush above decks and thinking, Oh sure. It's a plant. It needs sunlight. Right. Yeah. And then they cover it up in a hat and handkerchief and everything That's to disguise okay. it as Uncle That's Chumley. A, it gets uncovered like three times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like what I was going to say is in the last in the cliffhanger. So each little segment has a cliffhanger before it tells you to tune in for the next episode. Yeah. And the cliffhanger that you ended on was the handkerchief being blown away in a, a stray breeze revealing the plant. Yes. 
But this episode, the handkerchief is still there. And then Bullwinkle removes it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bullwinkle's frustrated when he's unable to strike up a conversation with Chumley and he starts, he, he pulls it off and um, he sees that the plant is sick. Meanwhile, Rocky is having a great time and he's mocking He's moving around too fast for Boris and Natasha to catch him and kill him. There's a good joke here where Natasha um, says that her feet hurt because her shoes are too comfortable. Right. She's used to she's used to walking in high heels and she can't handle these flat shoes. Hmm. So so the spies excuse themselves for tea. Uh, and like I said, back in the deck chairs, uh, Bullwinkle discovers that Shumley is a bush, but he thinks that he's all green with red spots and he's sick. Um, excused Boris and Natasha actually, instead of drinking tea, drill holes in a lifeboat. Bullwinkle finds Rocky to tell him that Uncle Chumley is sick. And just then Boris stages a lifeboat drill. Fearing for Uncle Chumley, Boris grabs him and the three get into their lifeboat. And then Boris cuts the cables, sending the boat into the water as the fog rolls in. And that's when Boris realizes that Rocky and Bullwinkle have the mooseberry bush. Fortunately, Bullwinkle uses his anklers, his antlers rather, to plug the holes in the lifeboat, and they just wait for the ship, the Andalusia, to come pick them up. And now we get the backstory of Captain Peter Wrongway Peachfuzz. Yeah. He is he is the world's worst sailor, despite having limitless passion for it. And it turns out he's only the captain of the Andalusia because he bought the ship with a fabulous inheritance. And knowing that he's an idiot, his officers then disconnected the captain's controls and set up a secret real control room to handle the ship competently. But while everyone was distracted looking for Rocky and Bullwinkle, Peachfuzz stumbled into the control room and took real control of the ship, which is now careening around the seas aimlessly. It finally hits the, le- the lifeboat and snaps it in half, but Bullwinkle's antlers catch the ship's an- an- Oh my gosh, antlers and anchor are hard to do in the same sentence. Right. I, I figured out that Rocky brings smarts and Bullwinkle just brings his antlers. Basically, <laughs> just, yeah. yeah. It's three times in the last, <laughs> like, what, four episodes those antlers have come in handy. Yeah. Anyway, his antlers catch the ship's anchor and the three of them, which is Bullwinkle, Rocky, and Chumley the Bush, are left dangling outside Boris and Natasha's cabin. Eager to get the Mooseberry Bush back, the spies quickly help them back aboard. And now their only problem is the captainship of Peter Wrongway Peachfuzz. You know, what? I like him. I think he's pretty funny. <laughs> I, I like I, I like how the corner of his mouth is always kind of open. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got he's got a cool back. He's like he's loaded with medals. And then yes. the, the backstory is that they were all donated by enemies when he was in the <laughs> Navy. You know, both both the way he acts and the story constructed around him makes me feel like it's a Leslie Nielsen role. oh it's a shame he was gone when they when they made the rocky and bullwinkle movie Mm. at least i think he was anyway uh the ship zooms all over the world which baffles all observers and passengers until its food stores run out and as the boys starve boris and natasha contact central control for advice on how to handle the ailing mooseberry bush their orders are Forget the bush and just keep the berries. And that's when they accidentally discover how volatile and explosive the berries are. They try to keep the bowl of berries in a safe place, but Peach Fuzz's erratic steering causes the bowl to spill out of their cabin and into the starving Bullwinkle's lap, 
where he snacks on the explosives. Hey, never mind that this bush was in a lifeboat that got smashed by the, the ocean liner. But <laughs> Well, yeah, it seems like the berries are only explosive when they're picked. It's, it's almost like the show is inconsistent. Yeah, it could be that, too. Yeah. Anyway, to keep him from jostling the berries too much, the spies invite the moose into their cabin. Because remember, they're still pretending to be Sir Thomas and Lady Alice. Hmm. Uh, there, he gets the case of the hiccups, which threatens to detonate the berries he's already eaten. In an attempt to scare the hiccups out of him, Boris claims that Rocky has fallen overboard. Bullwinkle rushes to the rescue, trips, and falls toward the deck 30 feet below. But it turns out the swimming pool is right underneath him. And when he lands, the explosion blows all the water away, which saves him. Because remember, he can't swim. <laughs> Natasha at this point says that they've lost 14 episodes of progress, which is a nice way of telling time, even though this is the beginning of episode 12. Huh. Uh, so once again, the boys are relatively safe, but they're still at the mercy of wrong way Peach Fuzz's steering. They end up eventually running aground on the tropical Blowney Island. The names in this show are pretty cool. Mm -hmm. There's going to be more of them later, but Blowney Island is nice. Not Baloney, Blowney. Yeah. On, on Blowney Island, they're delighted to find a burger joint. It advertises pineapple pizza before the internet turned on it, which I thought was cute. They're like, it, it was a joke about, oh, a tropical right. kind of pizza. And then, you know, 40 years later... Futurama is making jokes about pineapple pizza being completely inedible. You know, I bet shrimp cheesecake would be edible, too. That was another one of their menu items. Hmm. Hmm. I, uh, maybe the cheesecake would be doing a lot of lifting there. <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> anyway, the guys and the captain head out for supplies, and as soon as they're gone, Boris puts on his own sailor's guise and steals the ship. He's such a disguise fiend, even for himself. He is, he yeah. It. Yeah, like when nobody, nobody, like Rocky and Bullwinkle aren't even there to see him in disguise, but he's stealing a ship, so he has to disguise himself as a sailor. Yes. Barnacle Boris. So now the heroes need a plan, but they also need food. So they head to the burger place where they discover that the only currency they'll accept is clams. It's like the Flintstones. Hmm. Meanwhile... Boris radios central control to tell them he's stolen a hundred million dollar ocean liner, but fearless leader and his ever changing character design are only interested in the rocket fuel. So Boris is forced to go back for Rocky and Bullwinkle who are digging for clams unsuccessfully without any clams. The moronic peach fuzz works out a deal where he trades burgers for their weight in American dollars. The starving, yeah. <laughs> the starving rich passengers of the Andalusia have no choice but to overpay. And finally, the ship sets course for Potsylvania, where it looks like a cold reception is waiting for them. They're, Rocky and Bullwinkle are worried about the murderous mob that's waiting at the docks, but Boris discovers that they're really waiting for him. There's a good gag here where he's talking to Fearless Leader and Fearless Leader's like, oh, we don't have a Boris bad enough. And he's looking at the paper hmm. and it's, the paper says that Boris was executed. Oh, wait, it's tomorrow's newspaper. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. So, so yeah, though, so Rocky and Bullwinkle are worried that this mob is going to kill him because they, they think, you know, everybody's still mad at them about the mooseberry bush. Um, Boris knows that they're really there for him. 
The boys go to Sir Thomas and Lady Alice for advice, and seeing an out, Boris tells them to go ashore in disguise. Specifically, (laughs) this is Boris loving his disguises again. Yeah. Specifically, he wants them to go disguised as Boris and Natasha. And seeing the spies they're looking for, the mob grabs the heroes and takes them to the executioner. While the good guys are being sent to the block, the bad guys sneak into the country unaccosted and head for the underground central control. Unfortunately, they are then accosted by fearless leader's third and final character design. This is when they, <laughs> this is when yeah. they decided what he looks like for good. Yeah. Rocky and Bullwinkle learn that the mob is out to execute Boris and Natasha, and they laugh at the misunderstanding until they discover that their disguises are fastened with quote-unquote permanent glue. Fearless leader has had it with Boris's failures, but Boris is able to show that he did accomplish one thing. He brought the moose to Pottsylvania. Unfortunately, that moose is about to be beheaded, while the flying squirrel is about to be pushed off a cliff. Wasn't there a joke there where the the hoodlums in Pottsylvania are judging them by their appearance? And he's got a short and he's got a mustache. He's like, yeah, that's him. And then they they remark that Natasha is supposed to be a hot lady. And then he looks at Boinkles and he's like, how? Or something like that. (laughs) Well, yeah. So, yeah, so um, Bullwinkle's about to be beheaded. Rocky is about to be pushed off a cliff, but he's a flying squirrel. So he's able to glide from high heights. And once he's in his natural element, Rocky is able to get the permanently affixed disguise off. But hey, the moose is here, so Boris is safe. And now that the Pottsylvanians can see that Rocky and Bullwinkle are not Boris and Natasha, but tourists, they are given the traditional Pottsylvanian tourist welcome. They are taken straight to jail. While they're in jail, Boris explains his new plan to Fearless Leader. They'll get the rocket fuel formula from Bullwinkle. They say, like, you know, Fearless Leader's like, only an idiot would give us formula. Exactly. So once we get the... He just... Boris just skips right past it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Only an idiot would. So it's it's a given that they're going to get the formula. Yeah. So they're going to get the rocket fuel formula, conquer the moon, and... From the moon, beam Pottsylvanian television to America. Turns out that Pottsylvanian TV is so bad, the Americans will be forced to pay millions in ransom to get their usual TV back. (laughs) And to this end, Boris disguises himself as a defense attorney to have Rocky and Bullwinkle released, though he is forced to pay an extra large bribe when Rocky demands that all the other American tourists be released as well. And so... All the Americans are taken <laughs> safely away from Pottsylvania on Captain Peachfuzz's ship, which leaves Rocky and Bullwinkle alone in a country that it turns out is populated entirely by spies. Hmm. They have to go through a whole password rigmarole just to get a hotel room. Looking for a guide, they uh, they find a milkman or an ice cream man, sorry, selling secrets I I like that one of the secrets he's selling is who's on first. (laughs) When they get back, they find that their hotel room has been ransacked and all their paperwork and money is gone. Boris shows fearless leader that he's stolen Rocky and Bullwinkle's monies and money and papers, which will force them to go home. Apparently forgetting his own plan immediately. (laughs) 
<laughs> As always. Oh, by the yeah. way, they also took Bullwinkle's autographed picture of Sonny Tufts. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So Fearless Leader points out that if Bullwinkle leaves, they won't be able to get the formula. And he threatens to report this screw up to Mr. Big. Yes, apparently there is someone above Fearless Leader. Hmm. Boris begs for one more chance. He has to give Central Control the rocket fuel formula, get the Mooseberries, and kill Moose and Squirrel. Speaking of, the two of them are still planning to get the Mooseberry Bush. All they need is a guide, experienced in mountain climbing, to take them to where the Mooseberries grow atop one of those other good, good names, Wincha Take a Peak, in the Grimalaya Mountains. Yeah, those are good. The note, note here, something to yeah. note. The map they're looking at says that Wincha Take a Peak is 32,000 feet high. Hmm. Okay, remember that. So they look in the phone book, but there's nothing but unlisted numbers in it, which is to say nothing. Yeah. And their newspaper just has amusing spy themed ads because no one is willing to report the news. Hmm. There's good there's good spy merchandise in here, like uh Dees and Doe's sleeping potions, which hey. is definitely dangerous and habit forming, it says. Hmm. Um so yeah, they can't find an ad through tr- or a guide through traditional means, but luckily a guide mountain climbs through their window. What took him so long? <laughs> it's Sir Hillary Pushemoff. Yeah. <laughs> which is another good name. And his Indian princess guide, Bubbles. Twice. <laughs> Twice she's been an Indian in this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really Boris and Natasha. Oh, my God. <laughs> so Boris's guise as a guide is threatened when he finds out that he's supposed to take Rocky and Bullwinkle up at Wincha Take a Peak. And he takes a moment to consult with Fearless Leader. Now, Fearless Leader's map says that Wincha Take a Peak is 3,200 feet high. And he himself says that it's 20,000 feet high. <laughs> this mountain changes height like Fearless Leader changes character designs. <laughs> anyway, he's still under threat of being reported to Mr. Big, so he has to go mountain climbing. The trip isn't exactly smooth, but somehow the party finds the mooseberry bush. In only one episode, Bullwinkle points out. Hmm. With the bush in hand, Boris now carries out his plan to do away with the moose and squirrel. He sends a jawbreaker down the mountain, allowing it to roll into a giant snowball that threatens to smash our heroes. Despite interstitials throughout the series to date, showing Rocky successfully saving Bullwinkle from being rolled off a mountain in a snowball. Yeah. (laughs) The snowball overtakes the boys and crashes into some trees, but they amazingly survive. The group continues on, and Rocky gets suspicious of Sir Hillary's guiding abilities when he finds Bullwinkle's footprints, indicating that they've been going in circles. Thinking quick, Boris claims that these are the tracks of the fierce, man-eating, abominable snowman. This serves the dual purpose of explaining the tracks and giving a credible reason for the hero's eventual demise. Boris leads them to a precarious ledge and convinces them to stop for lunch, and the pepper on Bullwinkle's hard-boiled egg makes him <laughs> sneeze. It's very funny. And it's also some of Bill Scott's best voice acting, I think. I don't yeah. know why, but hearing him like talk as he's threatening to sneeze, like it was really good. And he's, he's got a he's got a good sneeze too. It also cracked me up when the narrator brings just pipes in. Unfortunately, at that time, Bullwinkle was eating a hard boiled egg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 
it's such a crazy almost non sequitur <laughs> like just a coincidence like well he... <laughs> oh shoot okay so he sneezes which snaps the leads ledge and sends them into a 1000 foot plummet <laughs> yeah. i will allow this because they're not at the top of the mountain anymore sure okay it's not sheer you know yeah yeah so boris and natasha <laughs> celebrate the boy's apparent death and <laughs> boris sings a song here that really reminded me of strong bad singing mm. Um, and then Boris once again realizes that they have the mooseberry bush, so they have to rescue them again, as Natasha correctly yelps. Yeah. With the bush safe and with Rocky still suspicious of the tracks, Boris decides that the boys have to see the Abominable Bubble Snowman. They hatch a plot to have Natasha disguise herself as the beast and surprise Rocky and Bullwinkle in the night. And so that night... They are attacked by a giant snowman in giant boots. They run in terror and Boris celebrates Natasha's success until Natasha appears and tells him it's not her. With a real abominable bubble snowman bearing down on them, the spies flee as well. This is probably a decent time to say that I enjoy the running gag that they all can't pronounce abominable. Right. I like the way the thing looks. I think it looks kind of like a Digimon as drawn by uh, the Rankin Bass <laughs> Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer designers, <laughs> you know? <laughs> All right, sure. Um, let's see. So as they run, Boris posits that their only chance is for someone to stay behind and fight the snowman. He suggests Bullwinkle and... Failing that, he pulls out his old game of drawing straws. There was a point earlier in the show where uh, some uh, um, Boris and folks had to draw straws, mm. and it was uh, established that Boris has a telescoping straw as one of his spy gadgets. So he is able to rig drawing straws. And uh, thus, Bullwinkle is indeed the chosen one. He tries to fight the Abominable Bubble Snowman himself, but it turns out Rocky is there to help. Rocky launches himself at the snowman with the kind of apocalyptic attack with minor results that won't be seen again until Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> In the aftermath, the heroes hear voices from the snowman, and it turns out the creature is their old moon friends, Gidney and Cloyd, in costume. Rocky yeah. and Bullwinkle... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rocky and Bullwinkle get the moon man out of their costume, and the aliens explain that they were only posing as the Abominable Bubble Snowman as a joke. It turns out that after their success in the Vegas Review, they got a job on a television show, show rather, Moonsmoke. It was wildly popular, which meant that the whole American viewing audience was watching when Cloyd fired his scrooge gun at the camera. So the viewing audience was frozen, and when the producers realized they could just show commercials and everyone was stuck watching, they canceled the show. But anyway, now that the danger has passed, Rocky is intent on getting the Mooseberry Bush back to the U.S., but when Gidney and Cloyd lament that they won't be able to get home to the moon without the mooseberries, Rocky changes his mind. He'll get the moon men home. Bullwinkle is so appalled that Rocky would fail in his duty to the United States that he turns his back and leaves. <laughs> now, I love this climax. Oh, boy. <laughs> about whether or not Rocky will serve the U.S. government or the moon men. And I like that it, when posed by the narrator, Rocky turns and shrugs haplessly. I don't know. 
And I love that the narrator then has to say that the next episode is called Fuels Rush In or <laughs> Star Spangled Boner. <laughs> yeah (laughs) i took a screenshot of that for tweeting later yeah (laughs) and i i just titled it boner yeah but the thing is if you've looked at my twitter page the um like the the image at the top of my twitter page is um the captain shaking his fist at dicky mo okay And, and i titled that picture dick so I, I have images on my desktop called Boner and Dick. <laughs> sure. They're, they're cartoons. They're cartoons. Anyway, yeah. so in Fuels Rush In or Star Spangled Boner, actually, Bullwinkle doesn't leave. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those retcon things again. Mm. Instead, Rocky has a plan. He doesn't tell us what it is yet, though, because we have to go back to central control. Fearless le- the Fearless leader is berating Boris for failing yet again until Boris tells him that he actually did succeed in killing Moose and Squirrel. He assumes that the abominable bubble snowman got them after all, and Fearless Leader is happy with this despite not getting the mooseberries or the rocket fuel formula and <laughs> the only co- the only path to getting it now dead. The yeah. the villains what the villains want to do changes so much it's just fearless leader i guess fearless leader is just a very changeable guy right it's too complex a plan i guess yeah even even the leader is screwing it up anyway as they're leaving the sewer headquarters boris discovers that bullwinkle is still alive because they've gotten back into town he desperately needs to cover his tracks or he's in for it as for rocky and bullwinkle they're trying to get out of potsylvania but everyone in potsylvania has the same idea Transit from Pennsylvania looks impossible, but the heroes find hope in a convenient taxi, which must be very convenient if they're willing to drive from Eastern Europe to America. Yeah. But it's especially convenient for its drivers, Boris and Natasha, because they've rigged the car with a time bomb. They feign engine trouble and abandon the vehicle and its remaining four passengers to its fate. Those passengers can hear the ticking of the bomb and assume that the taxi's meter is still running. So they search the car for a way to turn it off, lest they get charged for the weight. And in the process, Bullwinkle accidentally sends the car rolling down the road and out of sight, where it explodes in a cloud of white smoke that their narrator calls black. Hmm. This is, I guess, black and white. I mean... (laughs) Black lines, I guess. Yeah, sure. And of course, the explosion sends Team Rakieta blasting off again. And Hmm. believe it or not, this is actually the end of Boris and Natasha for this arc. Hmm. We're getting close to the end now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The heroes are discouraged to have lost their transport until they realize they're right next to a border crossing. The moon men are able to teleport over the border without their papers, please. And enraged at the transgression, the border sentry aims his rifle at Rocky and Bullwinkle. Bullwinkle is prepared to take a bullet for Rocky, but Cloyd just uses his scrooch gun to freeze the sentry. The group makes across the border and hitches a ride on a passing ship, and during the voyage back to America, the issue of how to give the boost, mooseberry bush to the U.S. government while also fulfilling the promise to get Guinea and Cloyd back to the moon is raised again. Rocky's plan is, as he says, obvious. If the government wants the fuel to send an American to the moon, all they have to do is make Guinea and Cloyd Americans. But little do they know 
that back home, Senator Fussmussen, a Southern Republican, I assume, is in the midst of an effort to make it almost impossible for anyone to become an American citizen, even if they're born there. In the final episode, back in America, Rocky and Bullwinkle start trying to teach Gidney and Cloyd how to be Americans in the face of Senator Fussmussen's hauntingly Trumpish xenophobia. Whoa. Yeah, I went there. <laughs> I guess Congressman Drupleton, on, uh, he writes the bills and then he sends it to the Senate for Fussmussen to revise them. Yeah. He's a member of the Citizenship Committee, I think it was. Hmm. Anyway, Rocky and Bullwinkle's idea of what an American should know is pretty limited. The Moon Men fail their citizenship test so spectacularly that Senator Fussmussen has them deported back to the moon. And so Bullwinkle uses the old cake recipe to make a batch of rocket fuel. Remember, they did succeed in getting the bush. Yeah. The moon men are loaded onto a rocket, but at the last minute, Fussmussen's coat gets caught in the door. At Rocky's suggestion, the president appoints Fussmussen America's ambassador to the moon, and the hateful politician is blasted off to suffocate on the desolate rock. Right. And even before that, he's riding the rocket with his coat stuck in the door. <laughs> yeah. Rocky says, like, take your coat off. And he's like, that would be undignified. <laughs> Triumphant at last, Rocky and Bullwinkle head off into the metaphorical sunset. The end. Yeah, but nothing so picturesque. It's them walking from left to right on a road. <laughs> yeah. For a yeah. last shot. <laughs> Yeah, well, Just, I mean, you know, walking into the distance would require them to animate scaling. True, but uh, far from a spectacular final shot. No, um, well, it, the actual final shot is like it, it like irises into a white circle, which then mm. Rocky flies out of and through space. Because remember, at this point, it's Rocky's show. Yeah. And that's the beginning of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so... My first introduction to Rocky and Bullwinkle uh, was ages ago. It wasn't on TV, this cartoon from the 60s. Mm. Um, it was in a TSR, mostly Dungeons and Dragons focused magazine called Dragon Magazine. Yep. The inside back cover would often have a full color ad for the Rocky and Bullwinkle party game from TSR. Hmm. Now, I looked a little into the game. There's three variations of it. And the first one, you pick a character, an existing character from the uh, panoply of Rocky and Bullwinkle uh, characters. Yeah. And you then buy, you like draw a card that has the beginning and the end of a plot. And then <laughs> you basically improvise the steps to get to the end. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's like a very modern kind of thing you'd expect from a game. It is. There's um, there's a, a a tabletop game that I own that we played a few times called. I can't remember what it's called. It was but it's it, it the same concept has found life like now as a game, a computer game called Gartic Phone mm -hmm. with the idea being that players would like write the title of a picture and then the next person has to draw a picture based on that title. And then the next person has to title that picture and so on and so on. Right. It's a fun game. It is a fun game. I wish I could remember the name of the tabletop version. Here's the thing. Yeah. No matter how the improv is done, 
I really get the impression this thing was written by improv, you know, mm. with like, there's no wrong answers. There's, everything is yes and, you know? Yeah, yeah. So to get from like, it's a story about rocket fuel and there's a point where they have to get hamburgers from an island. And there's <laughs> another point with you know, <laughs> they're mountain climbing and there's a snowman and, you know, the, the climax is them taking a citizenship test. And yeah. This thing is just kind of bonkers, you know, like they get close to Washington, D.C. and there's a sawmill. OK, OK. You know, yeah. it's that kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. improv. I mean, my um, over it was it was Thanksgiving last weekend yeah. and uh, my family got together. My sister and her husband um, had a, a little longer commute than usual because they're living a little further from home than normal these days. Um, and they were listening to the podcast along the way. And I, as we were talking about it, I told him that we were going to do the first story arc of Rocky and Bullwinkle for the next episode. And he told me that he didn't realize that there was an overarching story to Rocky and Bullwinkle. Right. He thought that the, the recap was fake. Yeah. He assumed that every episode is just standing on its own. And it's like, they just made up the, on our last episode and weren't actually going to follow through with don't fail to catch the next episode, you know? Yeah. Which is itself about a fifth of the length of an episode. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> These yeah. things are quick. They um, are quick. Like I said, each segment is like three and a half minutes long. Now it changes quite a bit because they, as I said, they are developing it as they went. Mm -hmm. um, especially the early going, they have a lot of moments that are tangents from the plot. Mm -hmm. They'll talk about like, trends in the public or opinions, you know, that the general populace is thinking. Yeah. They're funny jokes, but they, they kind of, they veer away from it eventually. Yeah. There's a um, whole thing about the education system in Pottsylvania. Um, mm. When the border guard gets scrooched, there's this whole diatribe about what the rest of his career is like. Oh, that's funny. I it like is. That, uh, I like that the scrooch gun, uh, Cloyd is not really good at setting the duration on the scrooch gun. Hmm. Or being cognizant of it. So he scrooches several human beings for decades. Yeah. yeah. Two of them become statues. <laughs> yeah. And that century is quite happy about it, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, it's a unique show. Yes. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's so bonkers and slipshod. That it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that it stands up in this weird, like, abstract way, you know? Like, the art is so amateurish that you don't even try to take it seriously. You just go along for the ride. Well, it gets better. Like, it at does. least the, the way that the characters are drawn becomes more consistent. Mm -hmm. And there is a consistency to those, like, unruled lines, you know? Yeah. Like, I was... I was looking at, there is just some planks and I was thinking like, there's some kind of skill in making them vaguely equidistant and yet not uh, parallel to each other. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Um, yeah. The show gets, looks a lot better over time and the writing is better. Like, especially the joke uh, episode titles for the next episode, yeah. they become a lot funnier the further you go into this arc. <laughs> well, yeah. Star Spangled Boner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, we can talk about the uh, the voice work on the show. Sure. Yeah, you mentioned Boris J. Scott as 
Bullwinkle? Bill, and, Bill Scott. Oh, Bill Bill Scott? Oh, yeah, I had Boris Badenov on the brain. Boris um, Badenov and Bullwinkle J. Moose. Yeah, yeah. And Rocket J. Squirrel. This is one of the, Why do so many cartoon characters, their default middle initial is J? Well, if you're talking about ones that came after this, it's because of this. I'm I, I guess, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Bill Scott's Mr. Peabody and Dudley Do-Right. And years later, importantly, Gruffy Gummy, Toadie, and Sir Tuxford. Yep. And I mentioned. June, yeah. yeah. Well, June yeah. Foray is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we keep screwing up here. But yes, I mentioned in the yeah. Gummy Bears review that uh, June Foray was Grammy Gummy. And it was a Rocky mm-hmm. and Bullwinkle reunion because she is also. Um, well, she's Rocky and every female. Right. In history, <laughs> she's magic at dispel. Ma Beagle, mm. uh, Jokey Smurf is probably male, <laughs> but she's like the runner-up to Frank Welker in being a prolific voice actor. There are some. It is somebody once said that like it, it, the idea was floated that June Foray was the female Mel Blank. Yeah, and the person who had this idea floated them. I can't. I don't remember who it was, but they responded. No, Mel Blanc is the male June Foray. Well, she has longevity enough now that, like, uh, her resume is more impressive than Mel Blanc's. Oh, yeah. I mean, she was active, like, into the 90s. Yeah. Into her 90s. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, that too. And next, the other one we should mention is Paul Fries is Boris Badenov. Mm-hmm. And I love Boris Badenov's voice. <laughs> oh, he's pretty cool, yeah. Boris is, you know, sometimes... Sometimes you see someone cast in a movie and you hear like Kelsey Grammer is going to play Beast in the next X-Men movie. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, of course he is. That's perfect casting. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> when they cast Jason Alexander as Boris in the live action Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah. I was like, who on earth looks more like Boris Badenoff than Jason Alexander? <laughs> you know, they had a movie prior called Boris and Natasha. Oh, yeah. And they cast Dave Thomas from SCTV as <laughs> Boris. What? He's not very good, is he? I imagine not. No. <laughs> they had Ellen Green, I uh, remember, from uh, Little Shop of Horrors. They had mm. her as Natasha, and she was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen the uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle movie, Me but neither. I imagine I'm, it's uh, Robert De Niro's Fearless Leader, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I imagine he's pretty good. <laughs> well, it was weird because, like, at that point, I didn't realize that Fearless Leader was an established character. Oh, and I was okay. like, oh, are they, are, oh, they must be making this up whole cloth. Yeah, they show Mister Big later on too. No, oh, they do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. I'll bet you never guessed the joke with Mister Big. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually really tiny. Yeah, there's. They were still doing that joke as as recently as Zootopia. Oh, right, right. Um, well, maybe this is the origination of it. Yeah, I guess. I guess. There's a weird thing. I have like little mantras mm-hmm. in my head from various things that I'll just, uh, I'll say once in a while to just pep me up. Uh, there's an interstitial where uh, the characters from Rocky and Bullwinkle and Dudley Do-Right are doing like a melodrama stage mm-hmm. play or movie. And uh, Natasha is... Uh, like wrapped up in, in, in like a rocking chair and she has uh, Rocky as her swaddled <laughs> baby 
And she moans, Oh, so cold, no food for baby. It's <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> that's the part of the show that sticks hardest for me for, for whatever reason. <laughs> I also like that Boris is the director of that movie. Mm. He's Ingemar Badenov. And uh, at the end, after Bullwinkle totally screws up the production, he from the director's seat is, director's seat is throwing tomatoes going, boo, boo, boo. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty funny joke, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Like, there's a lot of the humor in this. Sh- like, it's so absurdist that it right. still kind of holds up in a weird way. Like, this, the plot is obviously preposterous, right? Yeah. Um, the cliffhangers are ridiculous. But, yeah. you know, at the same time, like, Rocky and Bullwinkle is still an enjoyable time. There's some good, some really good puns. Yeah. I don't know if this is a worthwhile show for someone who has no nostalgia for it, though. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe as a whole package, because in a way, this... Like, this is not really how we're supposed to watch Rocky and Bullwinkle. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'll tell you, the Andalusia parts, the parts on the boat, started to drain me a little bit because uh, it's not a gorgeous show to begin with. Yeah. And the cruise ship has just a glum color palette, right? It's just kind of yeah. light gray, kind of dull tan. There's nobody um, else around for most of it. Right. The backgrounds are terrible. Hmm. I mean, terrible for Rocky and Bullwinkle. And uh, uh, yeah, usually you're supposed to have this broken up. Even, you know, the rock, as you said, the Rocky and Bullwinkle parts are the beginning and the end of the episode. And in between, you're going to get a fractured fairy tale and a Mr. Peabody or a Dudley Do-Right or anything else. Hmm. And I actually quite like the fractured fairy tales. <laughs> Maybe because they're not ongoing plots like this, you just get it all summed up in a few minutes. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you just got to go along for the ride a little bit. Yeah, since I was skipping, too, it was funny to just, you know, kind of estimate where the second Rocky and Bullwinkle episode was and Mm. just get an eyeful of something racist every once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't experience that because I figured out it was about 18 minutes. Yeah, (laughs) That's wild. I, I can imagine. So, on the whole, do you have anything else you want to say, or should we summarize? Yeah, I think we're good. Okay. So, in summary, Rocky and Bullwinkle is pretty decent for the time it came out, I think. Maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it doesn't hold up for someone who doesn't have nostalgia. But it looks interesting in a weird sure. way. It's yeah. got some of the better puns and joke names you'll hear in a cartoon. Yeah. Well, that's almost the best part. It's kind of mm. like watching uh, just the opening surreal credits for James Bond movies. Mm. I could see only watching the uh, teaser for next episode <laughs> as a series, mm. you know, for Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah. Um, okay. Well. Yeah. How about how about uh, how about we start talking about next week? Yes, next week. Uh, We're going to look at shorts. It's been a while since we've done that. And since it's October, we're going to do spooky ones. So, uh, Matsy, for you, I'm going to start you off with a recent short from 2011 called 
the backwater gospel. Okay. And mm. for the next one, we're welcoming back Gandy Goose <gasps> with G-Man Jitters. All right. Haven't heard of either of those. I mean, you know, I had barely heard of Gandy Goose until we started doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I got something a little more well-known for you. Okay. A Bugs Bunny. Okay. It is called Water, Water, Every Hair. Okay. And for the other one, I took to YouTube. I want you to watch a a cartoon in a series called Batman Piderman. Oh, okay. <laughs> and this particular episode is called Ghost Night. I never watched them, but I know them. Okay. You you know what? You might want to watch them for context. Okay. They're all pretty short. I mean, I think this one that I'm giving you is the longest one at seven minutes. Ah, that fits then. Yeah, so you might want to, you know, get acquainted with the characters and what's going on or whatever. But, uh, yeah, that's what we got. Okay, well, look forward to those spooky shorts. And that's the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, Let us know how we're doing and what you want us to watch. I'm at DrabSwatch on Twitter. Yeah, I'm AC Matsy on Twitter. And next week, I will be reviewing something that a listener asked me to watch. Mm. Um, so, yeah, look forward to that. In the meantime, tell everybody to listen to the show and retweet all the tweets that talk about the show and retweet the Celery Stalker slogan. Don't miss our next episode, The Fright Seeing Trip or Visit to a Small Panic.